welcome to Books in the Middle, a podcast just for middle school books. Have you ever seen the movie Jaws? Well, if you have, scary. (laughs) If you haven't, you probably don't want to watch it if you ever want to go in the ocean. But anyway, if you have seen the movie Jaws, there's a scene in it where the captain, the scientist, and the local sheriff have had a little too much to drink and they're swapping stories. And one of them notices that the captain of the shark hunting boat happens to have a tattoo from a ship called the USS Indianapolis. And he asks the man, Captain Quint, if he happened to be on the Indianapolis when it sank. And Quint proceeds to tell a chilling story about going down with the ship and then being surrounded by sharks in the water. Now... A young boy named Hunter Scott, who was about to enter sixth grade, happened to be watching Jaws with his dad one night. And after hearing this story, he looked at his dad and asked him if it was true. His dad said, yes, it is true. That is what happened. But he wanted to know more. His dad didn't have any more information, so his dad did the right thing by taking him to the library. Ha <laughs> ha, my favorite place. But it turns out, Hunter Scott couldn't find much information at the library, which was shocking to him and his dad. Not to be deterred, though, he decided to post an ad in the local Navy newspaper. Now, it turned out he lived in Pensacola, Florida, which is a pretty big naval area. And he started to get back responses from sailors who had actually been on the USS Indianapolis. This was back in 1996, so there were survivors still left from World War II at that point. The stories they told him were shocking and amazing. So let me set the story for you. The USS Indianapolis just happened to be on a secret mission when it left. It was to take one of the atomic bombs that would later be dropped onto Nagasaki and Hiroshima in Japan. Of course, the crew didn't realize this, and they had no idea. They were just out. Well, What the captain had not been told when they were beginning to make the return trip after dropping off the bomb was that there were Japanese submarines in the area. Now, they were supposed to do a zigzag pattern if there was any kind of possibility they could be taken out. The captain, however, was unaware of this. He continued going on a straight pattern. Unfortunately for them, a Japanese submarine saw the USS Indianapolis, and torpedoed them. Because the ship kept moving, men went into the water over an approximately three-mile range. The ship itself sank in 14 minutes. Of the approximately 1,200 men who were on board the ship, only close to 900 made it into the water that night. Now, there had been an SOS that was sent And so the men in the water quickly spread that there should be someone coming for them. However, what they did not know was there were a whole series of mistakes and miscommunications that were about to happen on land. And so the result was no one was looking for them. And unfortunately for the men, the next morning was when the sharks showed up.
Kozel Smith joined a group of about 150 men hanging onto a floater net. It wasn't much to hang on to, a square rope cargo net about 20 feet to a side, with 12 inches between the ropes and cork floats every two feet. If there was a safe place, it was in the center of the net. The men in the center were less susceptible to shark attack. An ensign was trying to organize the men and get them to move the wounded toward the center, but there were healthy men in the center who wouldn't give up their spots. Everywhere men were screaming. Smith saw shark fins cutting across the surface of the water not ten feet away from him. He saw a man drift from the group, losing consciousness, and then the man jolted as a shark hit him from the side and pulled him under. Men without life jackets tried to climb on top of men with life jackets. Everywhere he looked he saw chaos, as men screamed, panicked, cursed, fought with one another, drowned one another, scrambled over one another like rats in a bucket, the sea black with oil and red with blood. It was, Smith thought, everything he'd ever read about hell. Suddenly, Smith felt a shark take him by the left hand and pull him under before he had a chance to scream. His left hand was in the shark's mouth up to the wrist. He couldn't shake it loose. He could see the shark underwater. It was maybe eight or ten feet long. It rolled, then twisted, trying to rip his hand off. Smith held his breath and pushed at the shark, trying to get his left hand free as the shark jerked from side to side. Smith's right hand slipped off the shark's nose until he felt the soft spot on the side of the shark's head. Smith plunged his middle finger into the soft spot and slid it in all the way up to the last knuckle. His eye, Smith thought. I'll rip his eye out if he thinks he can pull me down. Then the shark turned him loose. Smith kicked for the surface, certain the shark would take him again. He surfaced, gasping for air. His hand was torn and bleeding, but at least it was still connected to his arm. He swam back toward the group, but found he was no longer welcome there. Men feared that Smith's wounds would only attract more sharks. Get away! Someone yelled at him. Get him! Keep him off! Keep him away! What none of the men in the water can imagine is just how horrible their lives will be over the next four days. And that is because, as I mentioned, no one knows they are even missing. No one is looking for the USS Indianapolis. And how they are found is by pure accident. This is an incredible book, and I would encourage everyone, even remotely interested in World War II, to read it. Left for Dead, A Young Man's Search for Justice for the USS Indianapolis by Pete Nelson.